was weird. <laughs> Welcome to the I word. This podcast may contain some strong language. I mean, I definitely swore a few times, but not too much. So don't let it put you off. Enjoy. Welcome to The I Word and Volume 6 of these conversations. I'm your host, Andy Sellers, and today's episode is with Juliet Dolder. Uh, I know Juliet from Central, where we studied together, and I was really excited to get her on because she's an actor, she's a writer, she's a poet, if those aren't the same thing, and she does many, many things uh, very well. So, let's get into it. I'm recording on... My end as well. Cracking. So. Okay, so I haven't done one of these in a while. Okay. Um, so I apologise for how possibly tangential it could it could be. Uh, I mean, I'm nervous, <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> and I'm just talking to you, which is very strange. But I've not felt nervous not in now. so long that, in a way, maybe it's quite a good thing. It's like you're not just talking to me now, Juliet. You're talking to the. To- I many, would. To the <laughs> many. Um, but yes, so when was the last time, Juliet Dalda, that you wanted to be an actor? I haven't done this in so many times. I honestly think I forgot. I forgot what the, the first question was. I've asked it like 15 times. What, when was the last time you wanted to be an actor, Juliet? Well, I mean, I, when I've been listening to some of the episodes, obviously, of the I Word, because I do my yes. research you know um and to be honest thinking about it i don't think there's been a time where i don't want to be an actor does that you know like in general i always want to be an actor but then there have been massive dips where i'm like i've been doing something and thought this is a moment where i don't want to be an actor Mm -hmm. and because there have obviously been like peaks of like oh my god i feel so inspired and um, I think one of those was definitely, I've been doing these play readings with um, a director called Roger Haynes, which has been really nice because it's kind of been introducing me into um, the northern scene a little bit, if that makes sense, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. since moving up here. And we did The Seagull via Zoom, which is a weird concept. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I got to play Nina and... In Act 4, you have the kind of scene where she goes a bit... She kind of lost her mind a little bit, if, if I can just put mm. it down that simply. And that was a moment with the actor I was doing it with where I was like, whoa, I really we- want to be on stage again. Mm. But then also there have been so many moments during these Zoom play readings and um, those moments also really make me not want to be an actor it's it's kind of the reason the reason I want to be an actor is because of the interaction between two souls like across the room you can vibe from each other and the audience is so important like in a way the actor is very much a servant to the audience and I feel when I'm behind my laptop kind of looking at myself as well because you can't help it when you're on zoom you look at yourself which is horrible and it's like the it's like acting in front of a mirror and it just makes no sense and I guess it takes away everything I love about it which is that human interaction which is that buzzing to be in a space with other people and since everything is now online I've been really struggling with my identity in the acting world and who I could be in in that sense in in an, in a world where we're a lot more stuff is moving online uh, which I find a bit scary to be honest but I don't know I hope I hope I'll find my mojo back but at the moment it's been a bit of like a because of all the online stuff that has been dragging my energy a bit if that okay. makes sense 
But what what was it about the the plays with more recently with movie with uh, as you described it with like the, the more northern scene? What was mm-hmm. it about that that was more refreshing? I mean, I've I think... just said refreshing as if I I've given you that word, but I mean, <laughs> it, wasn't... it I mean it it was refreshing to see so many new faces. I guess that was one of the big things. It was there were people in each reading mm. that I hadn't met before, uh, which give you that kind of excitement and. Um, they were all professionals and the director is a professional director so there was a sense of ooh I want to show up and I want to show myself in the best version of myself and there was so when there was a reading and the, the other actor was also really giving and I was trying to really be there and be present that was when it was quite beautiful and I forgot for a moment we were online but those have been really tiny moments really small moments of where I was like, oh, wow. Where are there times I really have to, when it's behind the laptop, after a two-hour or three-hour play reading, I'm drained for the rest of the day. Because Yeah, it's... I find it so much. it feels much more of a slog when it's online. Absolutely. Um, even though I think for the first hour, like I found that I think I was worried when I was, like, when I first started... Um, doing podcasts online that it would feel strange and actually listening to them when I do they always feel a bit different online but actually now that I kind of got used to it I think it's more of a way forward for something like podcasts it just makes sense because I think the first hour or so is fine mm-hmm. but then it's the kind of the long haul especially when you're there and you're looking into this do you have like blue glasses or anything blue light glasses no sometimes I turn my computer onto like the yellow-ish screen to, to help with that what you can turn your yellow screen (laughs) yellow you see i'm very technical i use very technical terms (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's it's you can on an on a macbook you can press on the night shift and it's kind of the oh right oh i see so what's quite funny i forgot that i had it on and um the queen's gambit we watched Mm -hmm. like the first half of the season in mm-hmm. night shift which and we were like ooh everything's a bit amber everything's a bit yellow interesting <laughs> uh, turns out it was just my screen and I forgot to turn it off so um, yeah that's so weird I never really thought about that I think uh, I remember we were watching a film the other day and I think that we had the brightness down a lot and I think there was someone made the point of um, this is why directors want their films to be shown in cinemas because mm-hmm. now we have so much ability to alter yeah alter the way it's shown and we we can pause it and play mm. it and come back and watch the next half an hour it's like we have so much more control over something like that whereas cinemas it feels like it's just you just get you're emerged and you, you don't bef- no, go on. well you can't escape even if you don't like it you're in it for the long run <laughs> and yeah yeah where now you just kind of like turn it off yeah exactly mm. yeah Kind of like a play. I mean, we was. I think I can't remember who I was speaking to about this. Probably George and Martin, because they're the only people I see. But uh, <laughs> they, we were talking about how when you can, when you watch Zoom plays, are funny. Have you ever have you watched one yet? Mm. Like a reading or something. No, not the, the ones beside that I was in myself. But no. I no, have. No, no. I watched Fleabag again online, but not. <laughs> it's not. It's not a test, George. <laughs> ah! I'm such a bad actor. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like that, though. I think there's a guilt that sometimes comes yeah. into for that. It's like, I've not there's... been supporting anyone. God. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, um, this is a separate point now, but it's like I saw that people are giving reviews of of things. Um, people, give, it's people are starting to give reviews of, of Zoom plays and like Romeo, mm. the Romeo and Juliet that was done with CGI and, or, or green screen and stuff. And in a way, you kind of think you kind of uh, any kind because uh, people don't want five star reviews to be put on stuff like this because it's like yeah. anything that's put on is a triumph and although I think that's that's true it's almost like but is that is that is that is that fair is that is that is that like mm. right to sort of like any kind of pessimism that comes up towards stuff like that I, I, I don't think pessimism. so I I don't think it's fair because I think everybody's trying and I think that's very much what's happening right now is is there's a lot of judgment I find and even you know from the perspective of me working at a cafe or end a shop it's 
sometimes people come in and they'll and they'll be like, oh, yesterday I saw a lady who didn't sanitize her hands, and I'm like, well, look, I'm I'm not a police officer, and I'm <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not gonna, you know, that's that person probably haven't noticed, but then I get some sort of blame for another person not doing it right, and I have a feeling like you know we're all doing our best. And everybody is, I like to think that from a very optimistic view, everybody is bringing their best self forward. And I find it so harsh how people are like, don't go into that shop because I saw this and this and that. And that's not right. And it's like, well, come on. We're all trying. Mm. It's a new world. And it's the same with, with these Zoom play readings. Everybody's trying to create. Everybody's trying to be creative but not quite knowing how to maybe do that in the right way. So I think it's it's too premature to start reviewing stuff because it's not yeah. in a negative way. If you say, go see it, it's great, that's lovely because that supports them. But I think it's a bit too premature to just go like, uh, the acting was a bit shaky because there was a bit of a time difference between Zoom. Yeah, obviously. But yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you do. No, that is fair. Good point. I suppose I just think it's... I suppose it was to do with what you were saying about the sort of the guilt that that mm. you can feel towards not supporting stuff like that. And it's... I don't know. It's just like... Maybe it's just not connected at all. But I, I don't know. There's something about... There's something about... Um, there's something about feeling guilty about not supporting those sorts of things that I think a lot of people understand, but I don't I don't know how to put my finger on it. I mean, it's I also... <laughs> I think it also comes down to... Um, that moment I think not showing up is often seen as I'm not supporting my friend or I'm not supporting this person who is in a similar situation Mm. as I am and Mm. I would want people to support me but I think there is also a big thing that I hope that we are moving a bit more towards in the world is to put ourselves first and you know have a moment where you go actually I'm tired today I don't have to show up for someone else I don't have to support someone else just because else I think I come across as a bad person Mm. and it's that kind of vicious circle of you do it for someone else even though you yourself maybe didn't want that and it's the same with like a coffee date sometimes you don't want to go on a coffee date and you want to just sit in bed and watch I don't know reality Queen's show. Gambit. Queen's Gambit. <laughs> I was going to say something worse. I was going to say something like Gogglebox, but... But so, before play readings, when was when was the last time you wanted to be an actor before COVID? Because I'm always aware of not wanting mm. to... Because also, the further we've gotten into doing the podcast, the further we've gotten into the pandemics. At the start, yeah. we were sort of in a, in a place that we were able to do it in person. And so... I'm I'm interested in when was the last time bef- if you can remember when was the last mm-hmm. time before the pandemic that you had that moment of you were talking about what you loved about the job yeah. and what you loved about what what you loved about it and so I wondered when was the last time you had that probably our final show at Central Anatomy of Su- oh that wasn't our final show no definitely not Midsummer Night's Dream that's where I was like the worst actor my god I think I just erased that out of my mind so for me that doesn't exist so the last show I did at Central was Anatomy of a Suicide we'll just keep it at that Um, I think that was probably one of the most powerful experiences I've had on stage where I thought we actually created something magical although it was hard work leading up to it when it came together I thought yeah there was a very powerful feeling that came from it and that is the first time I've had I've come out of the auditorium and seen my mum or she she came with two friends of hers and they were just quiet and they were like I, I'm, I've, I've got I'm too emotional or I, you know and that was so mm. powerful to see people really going through something and mm. um, Henry as well he um, he was in a really bad mood after because it, it just got it stirred up too many feelings and that is so powerful that 
we walk away from it and it, it couldn't leave people. And I think that's what theater can bring. It can go home with people. It can go into their week and can go into their lives as in a small change, a big change. But I think that was the moment where I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I want to be mm. on stage. And it was the it was the the feeling of the sorry I keep hitting my mic. Um, okay. <laughs> it was the it was the feeling of um, it was the feeling of it affecting other people or it was the feeling of it affecting you. In it, it to be fair, it wasn't. I felt like I was just doing my job, and it, when I walked away from the play, I was very much able to leave it behind me, leave it at the stage, mm. leave it in the room, and continue me Juliet my own life so I don't think it was the indulging of oh you know I, it's got not, to I don't think it's indulging I think I just I don't want I don't I, I don't want you to think that I thought it was that at all hmm. I'm just intrigued just because sometimes like you know the because we're talking about the love of the of the thing of the job yeah and so I'm just I just wanted to 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 see what, the, what where your love hmm. came from and whether it like whether the doing the show and making it affect people really kind of how it affected you i suppose hmm. is what I was, what was a better question i think beside for me the show felt like we were transported for two hours like i felt away from this earth and i felt completely on the journey of the character and is not often that there you do a show and there are not moments where you get taken out of it. But because of the way Anatomy of a Suicide worked, where I never left the stage for two hours, like it was constant. So even when you changed costume, you were still on stage. So there was no moment where I could be Juliet. And I felt so transported within that space that I felt the room itself traveled as well like we stopped in time in the real world but we moved through so much in the fake theater world which sounds really <laughs> pretentious no i'm trying i'm trying not to, to to say something you know really like make light of it because it's just what that's what that's how you felt but it, it it's maybe it's like now i'm reflecting on it i'm romanticizing it because i'm not gonna lie i found the whole process of it like so hard tough. but that's so what, but that's but that's part of it i think that was part yeah. of why um that was part of why it felt mm. so good at the end yes. <laughs> yes it was like it was like well we we sort of d did it and actually that that was as mm. much i remember that as fondly now as doing the show in that like because that mm. that rehearsal process is a funny worlds to live in i'm sure mm -hmm. there's, yeah. there's people who listen to this who will be in a rehearsal process when the whole the, there's a it's hard because i really love the director as well so, so <laughs> there's a there's a break between it's it just it just is it's just as a tough rehearsal process for yeah. many reasons for many reasons and to then get through that mm -hmm. and then for the show to not be greeted with a kind of like what the fuck did you just put us through <laughs> but actually a kind of like wow yeah or you know whatever it was whether they liked it or not or just sort of you know it's it affected them i think is is quite um did you were you surprised by it I mean, it's hard because people some people wouldn't have seen it but it's just it's anatomy mm. of suicide it's by Alice Birch uh, in terms of recommendations, that's as good as any. Highly, it's yeah. Three three storylines going on at once. There's three scenes going on at once. There's often three bits of dialogue going on at once. It's a it's a madness. It's impossible to rehearse. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, but and then you were playing the lead role, and she stays on pretty much the entire time, apart from the last two scenes, which is only yeah. about uh, three minutes of stage time, I think. Uh, yeah, probably. I don't know. To be honest, I think what you said about what is the love for it, maybe is how it, you know, it's it's like walking up a mountain and getting to the top. It seems mm. so trivial to get to the top. But for some reason, it can feel so important. 
But then you go back mm-hmm. down again and you're like, oh, you know, that was nice. And, and you want to do another one. Exactly. Afterwards. And it's yeah. the same, like, that rehearsal process was like walking up the steepest hill, mountain, whatever, and then getting to the top. And there was just this incredible sunset. And it was your little reward. And that's what I felt like we didn't do as many shows as we were going to because of other things that went wrong. But mm. the couple of shows that we did, it it felt like the hard work paid off. So it made mm. me want to do another one. And it made me want to be in a situation where I was going to find it really tough. Because I mm. wasn't at the start of, especially in the middle start of this rehearsal process, I thought, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do that. I don't think I've got this in me. To then come out of it the other end and go, give it to me again, you know, mm. is mm. is really powerful. And that, in a way, like, really coincides with the climbing I do is, like, it's so pointless to go up that cliff, clip in at the anchor, but then you're like, oh, my God, I did it. And then you do it again, but you do something a little bit harder. And mm. it is silly, but it's what makes... It's not silly at all. I don't think it's silly at all. Um, did you feel that that was a? Did you feel that that show as well came at the end of, of, uh, the kind of the because we went to Central together, mm-hmm. of course. Did you feel that that was a kind of? Did you feel that Central was a similar sort of uphill steep, or did you feel like it had peaks and troughs, or? Mm. I'd I'd say peaks and troughs. Am I saying that right? Do you know, oh, have, I know, have you not heard that phrase? I have, but you know, so for example, I've been saying nipping in the butt for years <laughs> instead of bud. So because I hear it, I know what it means, yeah. but then I don't yeah. know how, yeah, because it's not in my language. It's not a, a say anyway. So Nip, peaks yeah, nipping, and nip, nipping in the bud and pe- peaks and troughs. I only, troughs. I, I don't, yeah. Troughs is what peaks, the cows drink from, right? I no? think so. I th- I thought it. I thought a trough is what a as a horse drinks from. No, I don't. Oh. Know. I don't know. Oh well, I, I mean, the later. cow can't drink from what the horse drinks from. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, what, let's say rather than peaks and troughs, it was up and down. Up and down. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'd say it's been very up and down, and there have been a lot, a lot of downs, and then really mm. slow crawling upwards um like slow (laughs) i felt that i didn't get ups and peaks until my third year i felt the first and in the first year i was very much struggling with myself i was i don't know where i was but i wasn't there and in the second year i just felt that I wasn't quite supported, which is maybe what I needed to go through. But I felt like I kept banging against a door that I wanted to go through. And it was a bit like, no, we're going to keep that closed for you because you're not ready. So it was very much that kind of balance between where I thought I was sometimes and then being knocked down completely to to (coughs) go like, no, you didn't do a good job. And remember one so precisely is where... I thought I did, um, I passed, I failed mostly everything, um, mm. but I passed American term everything because that felt a lot closer to, um, even though I'm not American, but it felt closer to my heart and to what I want to do. Mm. And um, I was uh, talking months later with one of the teachers and I was like yeah you know like bus stop and where with the role of Elma I really enjoyed that and I felt like I was really getting somewhere and uh, she was like mm, did you you know you mm, it was all right and I was like right okay fuck and that is mm. like that constant battle of I think this is where I am then it kind of gets knocked down and I felt like I was really losing touch with my own trust in myself. Mm. And I found that really hard. And it took me to work with, instead of working with the teachers, it took me to work with the directors who suddenly put trust in me yeah. to show up. Yeah. That I was the like, same thing. 
Yeah. Oh, I got this. I know what I'm mm. doing. But I found that hard. Yeah, I found that really tough. But I think it's also because I was I, I lost that trust and then regained it. I feel like I'm now a lot stronger in my own power. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, there's an. I, I'm aware of wanting to talk more about you but this is the problem with chatting with people I know quite well is that I just we just don't <laughs> anything but um, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had that I think is definitely being had now which is um, the uh, the criticism that is put on um, uh, drama school students mm-hmm. when they're in training and we sp- I spoke a little bit with a um, with a friend Theo in one of the other podcasts hit my mic mm. for a third time on this episode my word there we go. <laughs> are you going to cut that awesome. out no I'm going to keep that in keep it like Lovely. really you know um, keep it humble edgy know. and humble yeah of course mm. that's just me Jules um, and <laughs> um, the, there's an interesting thing to be had about criticism of uh, students in drama schools I spoke a little bit with Theo about it because he went to drama center which has a bit more of a reputation i don't know if you knew that in um back in holland when you were looking at drama schools but back in, in holland i was in england when i looked at drama schools man were you looking were you in england when you were looking at drama schools yeah oh you lived here for a few, couple of years didn't you yeah how, how how long were you in england before uh i moved to the uk in 2015 january so then got into oh, drama and school you joined in 2016 2016 October. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. a, a oh, year. Did you, did you did you know about drama? Did you know about Drama Center? That's completely my. That's yeah. completely my. No, um, I did. I lack did. of research on you, my friend Juliet. Yeah, I mean but, it's um, all on Wikipedia, Andy. Yeah, should have done I should your have research. Known. Do you actually have? Do you have a Wikipedia page? I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, at first, really? when it, did you did you do things in did you do things in Holland, Juliet? I'd, yeah, mm. but oh, um, I always thought my mum made it for me, which is really <laughs> embarrassing. But then Did it turned not? no because my birthday was wrong on it. And if there's one oh. thing I think my mum would know is my birthday. I'd hope yeah, so. You'd hope so. You'd hope um, so. But yeah, uh, she did change it though. The sweetheart she oh, is. Good. She was so like she's the editor of it. <laughs> you know, Juliet. They say you're 12. Let's change this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you know about Drama Center? Uh, in when you're in London, when you're yeah. auditioning, yeah, I okay. want that was my number one actually drama center. Was it? Yeah, because the whole see, I think the whole we talked a little bit about it, and it sounded like it it had had a bit of a mesh, a bit of mm. a um, not a mess, a mesh of um, of kind of past teachings and present teachings. Um, mm. But I wondered how you felt. Did you? How did you feel when certain criticism was 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 given to you? Because I think that I think it's there's. I th- I felt like there was a culture at Central that never felt like. Often the stage managers would be like, "Oh my god, that was really intense." They just said that to you guys. It was just I a know, night session, yeah. and it wasn't <laughs> at all. Yeah, and it was like that's that's not intense. And mm-hmm. I think not that I don't think we were ever personally. I don't mm. think I was ever you know, mistreated at Central or said mm-hmm. anything inappropriate, but a lot of stuff has come out about mm-hmm. people feeling that they were mistreated. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it's ever something that you you really sort of put any thought to that any that any of the teachers could have brought up subjects to you in a way or brought up criticism to you in a way that maybe was a bit less maybe was a bit more sensitive to anyone's emotional state. I mean you know, I I think I've always when I used to come home, I've, I've had times where, bless my beautiful flatmate at the time, wrapped me in a blanket on the floor and uh, put music on to soothe me because I was such a mess. And I think there were definitely boundaries were crossed and the boundaries were becoming blurry, if that makes sense. Because one thing gets said and you're like, oh, that's a bit odd. And then something else gets said and you're like, well, it's not as, as it's a little bit worse than the previous one. But I guess we're, you know, you get used to the things that get said to you. So you do develop a bit of a shell, but that is so dependent on the person. Because I think I was very lucky that I have 
been in the industry back home that I've had my fair share of really, really weird directors and men uh, in the industry. <gasps> I said the word. You can it. Okay. I've been saying it so much. Go for it. Okay. Well, you know, in the... You sounded so northern there as well. <laughs> That's I not the, the word. word. Not that I um, sounded northern there, but... Yeah. <laughs> so, I felt like I was a bit more resilient to it with my then... But... So, I... A part of me felt okay that I could handle it. And I always had this kind of armor of, I will handle it, you know, this is fine, no worries, I'll just brush it off. But I noticed a lot later, things were starting to like kind of creep in and there were certain things that maybe they didn't realize on what they were touching upon and certain traumas from the past that they were um, (laughs) poking. Mm. And, you know, to, to... tell someone they need therapy which I then ended up doing and which is probably it's been such a good thing I did but to to say that in a class situation is is I think a boundary that gets crossed because you go into someone's personal life with that and mm. you go into but saying that I sometimes brought my personal life into class and that is where things get blurry is I didn't leave my shit outside the room and I brought it in and I got told off for it in a class situation so Mm. I don't know in which sense I'm saying they crossed the line I think I definitely also (laughs) pushed or crossed I think the way you said lines became blurry from all sides is I guess that's the best way to say it it's like yeah. I- I'm not putting blame upon anyone um if not you know and and neither on myself but I think, yeah, I don't think it's about blame I think it doesn't sound like it's about blame really no and, and maybe for some people it is because I don't know what's happened to other people that has really you know either damaged or scarred or hurt someone but in in general I felt because of the nature of drama school, it's sometimes hard to know the line. Um, but I think mm. with what's happening now, I'm hoping that there are going to be more guidelines. Also, because people that go to drama school are sometimes 18 years old. Shit the beds, you know? Like, when I was 18, I would not have been able to handle that. No way. Mm. So, personally, I would recommend to anyone going to drama school to take some time away and just live life and be silly and then do it that but that would be my advice with anything like any university it doesn't matter if it's drama school or law or i don't know whatever we're sort of working we're sort of working our way backwards which i quite like so but then uh, how old were you when you came to drama school do you mind me asking 21 21 okay was well, so, so. yeah yeah. Yeah. But so how did you, f- you just said that you would recommend that to people. Did you feel mm. like those three years, were those three years intentional? Were those three years part of a game plan or was it very much like a kind of, you were just were living and you just were doing your own thing. And um, how did it feel to then come to drama school at 21, which is when some people would have had a whole uni degree before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't in, I left school at 17 then moved to Amsterdam. I didn't live very far from it, but I moved back and lived there for a year on my own and just worked uh, as an actress and a waitress, a classic combo. And (laughs) I'm a big cliche. It's quite Mm. horrendous, really. (laughs) Um, And then I did audition for... um, the Amsterdam Theatre School... (laughs) <laughs> misinterpreted the audition brief so uh, I showed up with a they said the audition will take 10 minutes so I was like shit I need to learn a monologue of 10 minutes so I showed up oh, with a wow. 10 minute monologue um, wow. which is not what they were after clearly <laughs> I was told off yeah. for that so that was very funny um, not at the time but it is now and um, 
so then I also auditioned for a diploma at Central as well. Yes. And I got into the diploma. So then I packed up, moved in 2015 and um, kind of, because I, I didn't know anyone in London, I lived with family f- far away family that I hadn't met before really lovely people lived with them for three weeks and then kind of lived in a hostel and then found a place and then found work so I you know I felt like I was really <laughs> emerged in in London and mm-hmm. its hecticness and its craziness and intensity that by the time I had worked full-time and I went to um the actress center and I had done a few courses and I worked with a coach by the time I went to audition for like the the top drama schools in London I wasn't scared of London and I think that's Mm. one big thing when a lot of people come to drama school is they come from wherever they're from in the UK and they move down and suddenly they're in London I think London you need a degree for London in itself like so personally if you want to go to drama school like you know, live in London for a bit or try to exist there for a little bit to just know that it's, I, I find London tough. It's a harsh city to live in personally, but. Hmm. What was so, it about it at the start? Well, people aren't I mean, Dutch. You have a bit that of a was bat- one. You have a bit of a baptism <laughs> of fire though if you're living with people you don't know and then you're living in a hostel and then you're sort yeah. of basically just having to start from, not scratch, but you're, you're, hmm. you're certainly yeah like you're certainly immersed I mean uh, you know I I grew up in a village with 1500 people Amsterdam itself is a village in a city and if you go to Amsterdam everybody I will if I go to Amsterdam now I will bump into at least 10 people I know and Mm. that is the feel of Holland it's like it's small it's teeny and like it's honest there are a lot of things I really like about Dutch culture going to London it's so big so massive I it felt like it was the size of the whole country I'm from and to then also come across like the English way which I wasn't used to (laughs) was hard to kind of navigate like I wasn't used to the kind of polite aggression that used to be in people's undertone and I didn't understand it I would just be really direct up front say what I wanted say what I meant and people didn't quite like it so I just I had to kind of change my ways and that was a very and that was good to learn before you go into an intense environment as drama school I'm interested that in the the transition from so the transition from the workplace of Holland and I kind of want to talk to you about how it felt being in the I word or the industry in Holland to Mm -hmm. compared to now re-entering it in England and what Mm. what you felt was the different what you felt the, the biggest difference in in Holland and the UK and how much of that is cultural because I think mm. that that polite aggression has to transfer its way into I, I'm wondering how you felt like you dealt with kind of agent meetings in the UK compared to Holland because I imagine then it, culturally it's a very different world and that even mm. me English I find that the the kind of the, pol- the, the politeness and the the um, almost uh, talking around the subject can mm-hmm. be really disjointed in agents meetings yeah. and casting meetings and the whole thing can feel really Good. like it's time we wasting asked, isn't we, it we're, we're, yeah we're not talking about are we time wasting I kind of wish we had more of that sort mm. of direct yeah. like okay so yes we'd like to this we'd like to that we'd yeah. like to this how was it how was it in Back the UK home. for that well how was well, I kind of want to ask about to... Holland in a, in a minute but like how was it in the UK? How did you feel you dealt with that in the UK? Well, first of all, we don't have agents in Holland. So it, right. the, the whole system works very different. It's like so a manager it, system, right? You have a manager if you're at the top, kind of. Right. Um, but otherwise, you're just with casting director agencies. So all the casting right. directors have like their own bureau. 
And so you kind of register with this bureau um, and they say, yeah, we like you. Or mm, come back when you have more experience. Um, But coming to the UK and then knowing that it's all agent-based and feeling that you're very not in control. Because, Mm. and that's, to be honest, how I feel a bit now is I don't feel in control because I've got an agent and then you get this these spotlight briefs which is also something we don't have in Holland like you don't see what's out there unless it's posted on Facebook or Twitter or something but you don't see briefs hmm. of commercial pays 25,000 you get to travel to Malta and you're like oh my god but so you get here you get all these like droplets of false hope and then when you're like oh my god I really hope my agent put me forward for that then either you can ask your agent if they'll allow that you know there are so many little kind of rules of I spoke to one agent and she said I don't do any of that uh please put me forward for that bullshit I'm in control I put you forward for this and you just sit back and take the phone when I call you and you have to be you know available at all times and I was like what the hell (laughs) that felt so crazy to me like that I got a phone call from her and I missed it the first time and uh, I called her back and she says, this is exactly what I mean. We can't be having that if you're with my agent. And I felt so kind of almost threatened by that. And I thought, is this what I'm stepping into that I can't have a life outside of always being available? Because I think that's not a life. Um, So I didn't go with that agency. (laughs) But it's... It feels that there are, well, I quite often ask you guys, hey guys, are there any like rules for saying this or saying that? Can I say this? Because I'm not sure. And it's like a bit more like walking on eggshells around air. And it's, the competition is higher. Um, there is, to be fair, the arts, I do feel that acting is a more respected profession here than it was back home at the time when I was working there. Like, a lot of my classmates were a bit like, mm, that's a bit silly wanting to be an actor. You you do know that's almost impossible, right? Um, where here it feels like there is such a grounded tradition in the theatres and the arts that you do get support from your environment, if that makes sense. Hmm. Oh, well, I th- yeah, maybe that's... Maybe that is the case. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I think I kind of. I kind of get what you mean in terms of. I think there's always going to be people who think that if you wanted to be an actor, that's a stupid profession. But I, 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 mean, I get what is. you mean in terms of that must feel much more kind of like the feeling of the hmm. because it's a smaller country because everything's more condensed and because then yeah. if you don't have a big theatrical tradition, that can feel much more. Um, uh, I don't know the word, but it can feel much kind of more. I don't know, intense. Whereas in mm. the UK, even though it's not that much bigger than Holland, I don't know how much bigger it is, but it it, it Did feels you just like say the UK any... is not that much bigger? Is the UK bigger than Holland? I'm not Oh my god, it, Andy, yeah. it's how massively big... bigger than Holland. But in terms of what you were talking about in terms of feeling like the country is smaller. Oh. I think oh, but that still. that's what I was I didn't I wasn't meaning that. I generally am not good at geography. But the I think wherever you go in the wherever you go in the UK, there'll be mm. like a theatre, and wherever you go, and exactly. is that the same? Is that the same case in Holland? No. no. So the big cities will have theatres, right. but not as many. You don't have the Soho theatre. You don't have you know the in in even not in like one an underground street. sort of fringe scene. Probably, but I mean to be fair, I right. I left Holland too young, kind of to find all of that out right but i never heard of pub theaters and mm. um back home anyway and the only thing i've ever auditioned for back home have all been film and tv or commercials i've never auditioned for theater that wasn't kind of even a, a thing you know mm. i don't even know how you will get into that scene except for joining a company so that's so different that having a comp a theater company is much bigger like people who are in the theater in holland have acted with the same actors for 20 years right and that's what they the do sort of the sort of tenail group thing yeah 
Yeah. Oh, the Tonio Hub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That is who. My um, poor pronunciation. <laughs> I was like, what's he on about? <laughs> the Tonio Group. Yes, I know that. <laughs> Um, what's his talk name? More, um, t- talk more Robert about Ike. that. Talk more the Robert Ike thing. Well, he's with the Tony Hub Amsterdam right now. Right. Yeah. Is he still? Is he? Is he there now? I, I, I mean, I don't know. COVID times. I think he was, he was. He went to. I think he went to Europe to do theatre and stuff. Yeah. But it, so we'll talk more about. Um, talk more about the I word then in Holland because I'm interested. I'm, I'm aware mm. of not ever wanting to be like, oh, this is the I word and the I word mm. is completely. Uh, the UK and America because it's yeah. it's not and so talk more about the I word that is that is Holland how does it I mean you've talked a bit about the setup is slightly different mm. the the things it prioritises sounds like it's slightly different in the, just the theatre compared to the film and TV and yeah seems to talk um, more about that so as far as I mean I kind of I, I auditioned for this film when I was fifth. 14, 15, something like that. Um, and I've been auditioning, funnily enough, for musicals a lot when I was younger. And really? if there's one thing you know is I can't fucking <laughs> sing. So um, You can sing. That's um, I mean, this is why I never got hired for But you like any. singing. But you like singing. N- no, I <laughs> didn't. I you did. I thought you do like it. I, I like it, but not when there are people to watch me. Right, okay, okay. You know, like... Yeah. Then I'm like, no thanks. Um, so, so I, I was in the um, Dutch. Uh, like, we don't even have a word for the industry. I don't know what to call it in Dutch. So that right. in itself is interesting. So we, I auditioned from quite young age for things, and so I was quite used to that world back home. That by the time I did this, like, 3,000 young people audition for, you know, the lead in this new kids film, um, I went to that and miraculously I got a job in the end. And that was my first professional job, which meant I was then allowed to register with the biggest casting agent in um, Holland, which at the time was called Kemna, now it's called Postkostelein. And they are a bunch of casting directors in an office and they get briefings sent directly to them and they directly cast the actors. There is no middleman. So I was called, they said, can you audition for this? This is the payment, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll be there. So I auditioned in person a lot during my time in high school for various things. And it felt a lot more personal because you met the casting directors straight away and sometimes the director would be there. Um, so it felt like you were already closer to mm. the job and there were often less people auditioned, I guess because it's a smaller country. And I always went, there were only two casting agencies I, I always went to. But looking at it now, only maybe a year or two years ago, they started to do self-tapes. So this is a very, and still, it's not really something they like to do. So the the concept of sending out a self-tape to then sending out a second self-tape and a third one is very odd. So my first self-tape I've done for a Dutch thing was recently for this commercial. And I got a a four-minute video with it instructing me how to do a self-tape because Hmm. they're sending out to Dutch people who've never done it before. And I think that is really quite fascinating that it, in general, over there, it's more face-to-face. It's more hands-on, which I loved. Like, I loved walking in, seeing all the casting directors and just being part of a group where when I've auditioned in the UK, it was like, sit on that sofa, you only meet the receptionist, you're in this massive building, you only see one lady who puts you in a room, does your audition, there's no one else, and you go home. And Mm. then you don't hear anything back. If I was rejected for a job, I was told. Yeah. And that is just something I really had to get used to, that... The lack of communication at the end. Yeah, and and you go in and nobody really cares who you are. Nobody is like, 
Well, it's it's hard. The the kind of the the people who are working there, they they work there. I just like that's their job. They're, they're mm. you know, I don't. I would never say that. I think they, I think they do. I think they do care. I think. It's, I don't think I, they've I, got time to care. It's well, they've got yeah, so maybe, many people. Maybe there's more some of that. But I think the the thing about not getting a response is something I was, I was thinking more about. It's something I just feel like. I feel quite passionate about it now, and it gets me quite like. I don't know. I just get quite angry about it. The idea that I just, I just think there's, there's no excuse to not let someone know they haven't got mm. something. The blanket emails exist. I get that. I'm sure there's lots of people auditioning for the mm. project, but like you've got to let people know. It's just I don't think it's fair. I don't know why that we just it's become a norm in our mm. in well seemingly not a norm in the whole industry, but it just but in the UK certainly it yeah. seems to be pretty standard to not get a response I just don't think it's particularly fair and if you're going up for lots of things I can understand Mm -hmm. that maybe you sort of forget about it and cool but you know if you're going up for like one thing a week and you're sort of like this could be my thing and then you just don't hear about it again it's like how does that do to someone's what effects does that have on someone I don't know what effects it has on people Mm. but it can't be positive no even getting a no is is good it puts an end it puts a full stop on it and you can move forward but it just feels just so open-ended um, well I'm that's the thing yeah no, oh on. sorry no no no, 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 go, go. no go, go. well i was just gonna say the 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 open the open endings the insecurity the hope you know that goes like oh i might get it i might oh hmm. am i because they're asking you to be available as well yeah. So you say you're available to travel to South Africa. Uh, you say you won't cut your hair because of a shampoo commercial. And you say you won't lose any weight. And um, then you're like, cool, I sign, you sign all those things prior. You do your audition. They say it can take up to four weeks to let you know. And then you're like, okay, four weeks have passed, which is mm. a long bloody time. Mm. And then you don't hear anything. But during all that time, you've kept that month in the future in the yeah. summer you've gone like you, people have asked you are you going on a holiday you've gone like oh i'm not sure yet because i might have and that is damaging and i don't, and I don't know why but it, it ever since it feels almost like whenever you sort of bring something like this up like you bring mm. up um basically just like workers rights for actors it feels like yeah. it always feels like it's played into the narrative of like oh the actors are asking for a lot now there's like there's <laughs> they're, they're a bit devery it's just like it's weird i don't know why it feels mm. like that but it always just feels like if you sort of bring up how you you don't you you want to just you you don't want to just give up your entire mm. life to be available every single yeah. second it's like that's not that's not fair like i don't i don't know enough other i don't know if enough about other industries to, mm. to know if it's if it does happen but it feels so kind of like uh all encompassing in, mm-hmm. in acting i don't know maybe i'm interested to maybe ask some stage managers or directors mm. or lighting designers if that's the same kind of feeling if you feel like yeah. it's almost like you have to be available no matter what it's but also that, that notion that um we should be honored to even audition exactly yeah and that's hard. I think that's a hard thing to kind of... It's a hard thing to question because in a way you, you, you should be. In a way you should be glad that you're auditioning because it's, it, is, it is a nice thing to be able to do, to be able to do your job and mm-hmm. to be able to be lucky to go into a room like this. But also to sort of be like pandering to an audition panel is very strange. It's well, very we've strange. paid a lot of money it's in uni. It's a real power imbalance. Yeah, I, I, that power imbalance is massive and I think we need to start honoring our craft again to go like no we're worth to be paid for you know mm. when the amount of people that approach you and go you'll do that job for free right i'm like well actually i'm twenty seven thousand pounds in debt so no i won't would, would you it's hard i say maybe this is this is maybe this is a this is a hypothetical mm-hmm. say you're you know three or four years down the line you know, you're yeah. working. You're working a lot. You're doing a lot of things. You're going up for things regularly. Would mm-hmm. you? Would you cut those things that you're going? So, say rather than ten auditions a month, you go up for five. Mm-hmm. And don't feel like I'm leading you either way or either way. Yeah, yeah. But if you were going up for ten auditions a month, uh, and then they cut that in, in five and said, "No, no, we're going to pay you. We're going to pay you each time we audition you now." Mm-hmm. But so it's going to be a lot less, and it's going to be a lot less frequent. 
would you take that? Would you sacrifice that kind of chance to be honing things in an audition room, to be having regular contact mm-hmm. for a chance to be like, well, actually, I feel like I should be, uh, this warrants me, I'm coming in, I'm, I'm learning mm. the lines, I'm you know, doing it to the best of my ability, I'm effectively mm-hmm. doing work. Should I be paid for this? I don't necessarily have an answer, yeah. but I think it's... Probably not, to be honest. I probably would choose to not be paid and to just... Because, you know, in the end, you don't get paid for... for in uh, What do you call them? Job interviews. <laughs> it shows Some you haven't do. Some done do. one in a long time. <laughs> I didn't even know the name. Um, <laughs> but I think it's more about the respect around it. You know, that right. sometimes I know my musical theatre friends have gone like and have had a text message a night before and say, can you learn five songs tomorrow morning? Uh, audition is at 10. And it's kind of like, you've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. And it's that respect that to know that actors want to work, but they also mm-hmm. have a life and they have work to pay mm-hmm. to audition. And yeah. I think it, it's more about the respect and the kind of working together so there isn't that power dynamic what you talked about about Mm. the casting director being the holy grail and the actor trying to crawl to to Mm. get in touch with it um yeah and i don't for a second think that that's intentional on Mm. i don't think i don't think it's meant to have happened like that i think it's just something that's happened um yeah probably so talking about all that then coming Mm. back to we're at the start and you've just recently moved up north mm-hmm. uh, you've moved out of the hectic London which you described and I'm yeah. just wondering I've asked you about this recently but I'm just wondering how you felt how it how it feels to be working as an actor with the intention of working as an actor not in London because I just think it's really important to not think that the only place you can work as an actor is in London. I did an episode yeah. recently with my friend Emil, who mm-hmm. wants, who's just starting to try and be a director. And he moved to Bristol instead of uh, London because he felt, even though the opportunities were fewer, he felt mm-hmm. like he was going to get more chance to do the things that he more wants to do instead yeah. of just doing kind of uh, usually free mm-hmm. work in London. Well, I, I think... There is a misconception around lots of places in the world it's it that you have to be in the epicenter of it all to even stand a chance and and funnily enough um Kit Harrington used to come into Ottolenghi where I used to work quite a lot and when I told him I was moving up north he said oh my god but you know are you sh- how are you going to do that with acting and how are you going to do that with this and now I've chosen to move to a place that is relatively close to Manchester and Leeds, so I still have those kind of hubs. And but it, there is a sense of um, I don't want to use the word arrogance. Like I don't mean that towards the people who think that. But there is London itself carries an arrogance that they're the only place that will produce good art. Mm-hmm. Where actually it doesn't matter where you are, there is good art in any corner, any street. It's just about the heart that's in it. And, you know, you could say, well, you, you might not make that much money compared to London. It's like, well, no, but I'm also not paying a kidney for rent. So <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's that balance. And also, I'm so lucky to be surrounded by nature, walks and space right now. And I've never had that space to be creative before because I had to work five days a week, eight hours a day because I couldn't otherwise afford it. Mm. And I would love to see that people just follow their hearts to where they want to be, what they want to be surrounded with, increase their quality of life, and then make art everywhere. Everybody deserves art, you know, not just the people in London. Mm. Let's make art for everyone and make it accessible. Mm. I think it was something that's come up a few times is that you, you used arrogance. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong. Uh, it's an arrogance. It's a kind of, uh, a lot of the time in London, you're performing to theatre people. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of, it's this this cycle, it's this kind of, um, 
it's it, it feels sometimes like you're uh, like performing to your friends and you're performing to you know yeah. uh, every time you go to the theater there's a hundred drama school students there in their blacks <laughs> ready to uh you know in their drama blacks ready to kind of study you know, like, your go animal to, go to movement the next day <laughs> uh like it feels like that's that that is a that is what I think London is a lot of the time and that's really mm. great and I I loved being there at that time but the more you kind of the more you grad well the more you graduate when you graduate I felt more and more like you want to do stuff like what you're saying you want to actually do something that's you know everywhere deserves to have a good good theatre mm-hmm. and like my my local sort of local-ish is about an hour away from me but the closest theatre to me Southampton's recently just got a new investment and that's the kind of place that I just like that's just I, I want that to do well like I'm not I'm sort of in a way not fussed about how London theatres do because I think I just sort of take them for granted in a way I kind of always think yep. they'll be there yeah I don't know why but I mean you were talking about recently working in, in like Bradford and mm-hmm. in and you said as well Leeds and Manchester yeah. and Martha said something really interesting on the pod about um a lot of the time London performers uh, feel like there's a, there's an almost a sense of in London when they tour like oh does this place deserve yes us as opposed to yes. does do we deserve to go to this place mm-hmm. and actually have the audacity to like put on a I show know. and yeah. think that it's of any kind of worth to these people yeah yeah I don't really have a question there. <laughs> just sort of well sprout, no but sprouty, I mean but. To be very honest and uh, admit, I thought exactly that. When I was in drama school and I looked at briefings and it said it was going to tour to, yeah, Sowerby Bridge, I would be like, "Mm, I don't want to go to Sowerby Bridge. It's very far and this show is too good, Mm. which is bullshit. Like, Mm. you know, but I I feel like I find it quite... um, (laughs) <laughs> that I was exactly like that and I'm really glad that I am trying to fight against that London mm. London snobbery that was in myself yeah. Yeah. and now realising, wait a minute, that is not who I want to be, that's not the message I want to put out there about theatre and the arts. So I'm, I'm hoping that when this pandemic is gone, <laughs> that, you know, we will be able to... I found a beautiful spot in the in the hills, um, by the way, and I want to host a poetry event there. So I hope you'll come. Wow! And, um, it's I got a little waterfall trickling down. <laughs> this it's, sounds so you. It's fucking yeah. <laughs> gorgeous. Oh, it's it's gonna be me, and it's gonna be fabulous. Um, when would it be in the summer? Probably, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's outside, so if it's allowed yeah, to happen yeah. in spring, that would be amazing. Um, but I think I've That's got a fire pit. I, f- I feel like we should get a little boogie on. We should. There's going to be so much clicking when the poetries are going on. There's going to be so much like. <laughs> <laughs> and and you oh. know people bring a little bring something to express oh. themselves, whatever it is. So I'm I'm no. re- I've got a friend with a didgeridoo do do. <laughs> Did yeah. Oh man. She made my Look, herbal Jules, tea. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. It's absolutely not my scene, but I'm absolutely not going to miss this. This sounds great. It's, <laughs> it it's going to be good, Andy. It's going to be good. <laughs> um, what is your recommendation? I still um, said that in a vaguely French it, accent, but no, very. How do you say recommendation good. in Dutch? Uh, aanrading, aanbeveling. Of course. Something like yeah. yeah. What is you your aanbeveling? Amaflela is um, well. I thought about this and probably thought about it too much. So, <laughs> no, that's can good. I? I like that. Can I do a subcategory? Can I do book, game, movie? Absolutely. Am I allowed? I love. Okay. Uh, yeah, I love it when people do multiple. Okay, so movie-wise, I'm going to recommend uh, something that I think not a lot of people have seen. It's called Mid Nineties. It's on Netflix. It's about a skating. Um, Jonah scene. Hill, right? It's Jonah Hill's film. Yes, and it's yeah. incredible. It's yeah. so good, and a scene I didn't know much about, and I've not been involved in because I can't skate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, go watch that, and then uh, I wanted to recommend a game because I think we all should 
watch less Netflix, even though I just recommended something on Netflix, and play more games. So go online and find something that isn't Amazon and buy a Rummy Cub because it's the best game ever. <laughs> I've played it since I was Rummy like... Cub? <laughs> Rummy Cub is kind of more a European game, but they've got it in in English settings, I guess. Um, but it's... I'm not going to explain it. There is a YouTube tutorial on it from the Rummy Cup company. So <laughs> go watch that because it's great. And they will keep you busy. And you can play it with two people up to four. Very good. Let me wait. I want to just Google what because I I need to see what this is. Rummy okay. Cub. It's, yeah, it's R U. Oh, it's oh, it's oh, it's like it's a whole. What the heck? There's like a little. There's like little, little chips. there's little chips with uh yep. with numbers on them. Mm-hmm. There's like a weird little little face of a man yep. on one of the pictures. Yeah, that's a yoker. <laughs> <laughs> yep, this is great. This is cracking. It says uh age age 7 plus. So as well, long as you're as long as you're over 7. So and as lo- yeah. Yeah. As long as you can calculate uh, because for the first move, you have to get up to 30 points. So as long as you can count to 30, you'll be all right. Okay. So as long as you're over seven, you can count to 30. And uh, you, it says from two to four players. So if you have a fifth yeah. friend, lie, we'd recommend. Lie lie about something. Say that you can't speak, see them tonight. Tell uh, them that they are not allowed to come see you yeah. because... You've got diarrhea. Okay. So, and what's the book? <laughs> so the book is, I, I think I recommended it before to you and some friends, but the book is called The Book of Delights. It's by uh, Ross yes. Gay, and it's got really beautiful essays, and I think it's a book we need in this time about little reminders of what makes life beautiful, and they're in, like, the little hidden things. So, yeah. Amazing. So it was mid-90s. Which is, I think, it's on Netflix. It's still on Netflix. Yeah. Um, Rummy Cub. Rummy which Cub. Which goes down as one of my favourite recommendations. <laughs> uh, and The Book of Delights. Which yes. is on Amazon, but order it off somewhere else that's not Amazon. Order it from, uh, what do you call it? Hive or Abe Books. Is, is Waterstones good? I never know. Uh, Waterstones. I guess. Good, I it? mean, it's it's a, it's, it's a, a bit of a franchise, but it's a bookstore. But yeah. Hive, Hive supports your local bookstore. So Hive. if they've got it, Hive, H-I-V-E, mm-hmm. um, they support your local bookstore. And A Books is a really great one for if you want to get something also from a local bookstore or secondhand. They kind of have stuff from all over. So I just bought a cookbook from the Oxford bookshop which is an independent bookshop Ooh, but it's they put it on a little bit cheaper so stay clear of amazon save <laughs> the amazon rainforest Juliet uh, <laughs> <laughs> dolder thank you very 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 much thank you this podcast is produced by me andy sellers with original music by